Yes, I am Sir Matt, the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today, we are in the Storm of Swords, Daenerys 1. Big chapter, Jimmy. Big chapter. Uh, big chapter itself. You know, these Daenerys chapters, as we always say, it feels like you're so far away, right? Uh, they feel so sort of removed from everything, everything else. But really, this is where I feel like Daenerys' story really gets going uh as we because now now she has her eyes you know in akasha kings were kind of stuck in like quaith or not in quaith and karth with quaith <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah now uh <laughs> but but here um here's where she, now she's really got her eyes set on westeros and she's beginning to sort of think about it the plan the dragons are getting bigger we talked about that in this chapter and she's yeah. beginning to ask questions with Barrist and Selmy about you know what was my brother like and I think sort of beginning to sort of really become the dragon uh you know if, if you will yeah and there's always some some sort of sense of like family history in Daenerys's chapters at least some of the best ones and and we don't even just get Rhaegar we don't just get her father mentioned we also get Viserys mentioned and we see that maybe at a time before he became bitter or something he, he actually used to play with her and invite her into his room and like they snuck about and it, it, it actually made me very melancholy because you, you have to wonder what went wrong with Viserys. Like, did he just grow up one day and realize he was not being treated as he thought he should? Like, did something happen to Viserys in his childhood that turned out this way? And I don't know. It, it actually made me really sad reading this chapter. And you think about it, you're like, well, Viserys is dead. Well, her dad's dead. Well, the brother is dead. It's like, man, Daenerys has really been through the ringer. And when you look at all the things that have happened to her, she's very young in the books, uh, which is makes Jorah Mormont even more creepy uh, in the books for sure. But, you know, this is uh, a younger uh, female who has been through everything. And it's not surprising that she's had to grow up a little bit quickly, um, though I still think Jorah Marmont is a creep just for the record. Uh, but yeah, just looking at this, looking at the family history, I love hearing about the Targaryens. I mean, we even hear about Jaehaerys in this chapter as well. So it's just like a Targaryen family tree all the way through. And I think paints a really good picture of, of who Daenerys is at this moment and how much more she has to learn about her lineage. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And we're going to talk about Rhaegar in this chapter yeah. and you know, some of the things about him that are pretty important. Like, you know, we talked about the one where Rhaegar's going to read something in a book and decide suddenly he needs to go off on this thing. So this is like a pretty big prophecy uh, chapter as well. And one that a lot of people pull back to when you're talking mm -hmm. about what went down, why did Rhaegar do the things he did? Um, and we have another theory we're going to tie into this, which is this sort of idea of bail the bard, which we just did a bail the bard chapter. Right. And now mm -hmm. here we've got, Rhaegar mentioned, and this is again one of the things that we talk about. I say it every week when you're doing this reread. All if you go look at all the theories and everything, it's always through the lens of like John chapters and or Danny chapters, not this Danny chapter takes place after a John chapter mm -hmm. in which this was mentioned, and now this is mentioned here. So, and this is the pure way, right? Like we're looking at the book as George published it and these things are very on purpose mm -hmm. yeah because nobody i mean nobody seriously nobody ever does if you go look at all these all these song of and fire uh videos out there i feel like i never see anyone say but you know if you look at the the chapter that took place right before or the chapter that takes place right after and how that thread is is carried over between those handful of chapters it's usually always through that pov lens yes and um, which is still a great way to view it but i think this provides a different lens as well yeah, definitely. And and there's themes that carry on throughout the POV switches, and I think they're all very intentional. So uh, it, it is awesome to go chapter by chapter, I think, and uh, gives you more context and, and maybe better framing for some of the theories that we have and and what connects and what doesn't. Yeah. So, OK, so let's dive into the summary. So Illyrio's three ships are sailing for Pentos and Daenerys is watching her dragons fly over the ocean. Artiston Whitebeard, as he's still called here, but obviously we know he's Barris and Selmy, tells her that Balerion was 200 years old when he died during the reign of King Jaehaerys the Conciliator. Artiston then speaks of Rhaegar, how bookish he was as a child, always reading. Then one day he was reading something in a scroll that made him want to be a warrior, and he began 
training fiercely. Artiston admits that Rhaegar was a great warrior, but he won no battles. Later, Jorah tells her that Artiston is more than he seems and warns her not to trust him. The knight advises her to sail for Astapor and buy Unsullied, the best trained fighting force in the world. He tells the tale of the 3,000 of Kohor, where a small army of Unsullied defeated a huge Kalasar trying to pillage Kohor. The Unsullied are eunuch slaves trained to obey orders, absolutely, and they feel no pain. Daenerys agrees that she will she will force Captain uh, Grolio and strong Belwas to change course. Ser Jorah then grabs her by the waist and kisses her. Whoa! <laughs> not, not great. Not nah, so good, yeah. Danny tells him he should not have done so, but Jorah talks of her vision in the House of Undying and how the dragon having three heads may mean that she should take two more husbands. Ah, oh, man. Oh, I'm yeah, not feeling but, it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Jorah stuff. I don't I, It's like, I don't even know how to. It's rough. <laughs> it's, it's so. It's not good. It's so cringy. So it's creepy. So, so weird. <laughs> And George knows it's creepy because it's written yeah, from the perspective of this teenager. So, like, right. you know, she's thinking like, yo, he's not a very handsome man, you know, but he's thick of chest and shoulder and he's doing it for love. And Danny's trying to be like, you know, give him a pat on the head. And, and she does listen to him. You know, he actually has a pretty good case here, which you do have to wonder, like, this is Jorah's decision. And then we see the way this goes and she ends up in Slaver's Bay and we get the Marinese knot and all this stuff. And it's like, this is kind of Jorah's fault in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> like, was that good counseling? Like, I don't, I don't know. I guess we don't yeah. know the others. Like if she had went the other way, but um, the Unsullied certainly are going to be a good acquisition for her later down the road, I would imagine. But dude, this chapter has it all. It has Barristan Selmy, Balerion, the Black Dread, mention of Jaharis, mention of Rhaegar, and then you also still get all of the mentions of like Essos and the outer ranging lands and a history lesson about the insult. This is a great chapter. I think this is really good. Um, yeah, I'm actually a big fan of Danny chapters uh, more so on the rereads that I've done. When I first read the series, I was always kind of like, yeah, Danny. Eh. But now every time I go back and I reread, I find Danny chapters just to be chocked full of really good stuff. I mean, come on, the Black Dread doesn't get better than Black Dread. Yeah, and again, this is what we you know when we talk about Daenerys chapters is Daenerys is the easiest POV. I feel like because you can pretty much just straight through read her stuff. It doesn't. Yeah. It feels the most connected um, because you really don't ever get any any overlap. I guess mm -hmm. right. Like you know, like if you want, if you're trying to, as we talked about this, and I'm still sort of piecing it together. Um, this sort of like, okay, if you want to read Sansa's arc, you don't, you can't just read Sansa POVs. You need That's to right. read like Ned and Tyrion and Arya because it all overlaps. Mm -hmm. Whereas Daenerys is kind of different. And it's one thing that I actually, I think a storm of swords is a little bit better, but in like game of Thrones, I kind of dislike the Danny stuff because it <laughs> just feels, cause everything's much more confined Right in Westeros, mm -hmm. really outside of John, like everything sort of like feels so, you know, right there. Whereas the Danny stuff feels completely separate. Almost nothing that happens in any of the other chapters, with the exception of yeah. Ned saying, "Hey, Ned and Robert arguing about Danny," feels like it's connected at all. Whereas now, you know, Barristan Selmy's over here at least, mm -hmm. and we're talking more about Rhaegar, and every it feels a little more. Yeah, cohesive. and. You know, readers do disconnect with a passive protagonist, and Danny, for the first half of a Game of Thrones book, is a passive protagonist. She's things are happening to her, and then she's reacting to them. And then we see the switch, right, uh, where she actually starts taking charge. And by a storm of swords, I mean she's total pantsuit girl bossing, like slay. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. Because now, yeah, she's becoming that. You know, that dragon. Yeah. It's really. It's like you know, you view it as like I guess you know, three acts, you know, where we're, where we'll, we'll get to her. Whereas now she's, you know, she went through everything she did in the clash of Kings and she has dragons. They aren't big yet. They aren't super big yet, but I mean, just having the dragons alone and she's got, you know, the leftover of the Kalasar with her. Yeah. She's definitely in commander mode. Yeah. And the dragons so, are growing. 
they are growing. So, okay, so there's a ton to dive into through this chapter. So we're probably obviously not going to get to all of it, but um, you know, we can always come. We can certainly always come back and send, shoot us an email, leave us a comment if there's more you guys want us to come back and like focus on in the chapter, and we can always come back and hit it back up. But absolutely, sort of this. This is how it starts off. Across the still blue water came the slow, steady beat of drums and a soft swish of oars from the galleys. The great cog groaned in their wake. The heavy lines stretched taut between Balerion's sails hung limp, drooping forlorn from the masts. Yet even so, as she stood upon the fore castle, watching her dragons chase each other across a cloudless blue sky, Daenerys Targaryen was as happy as she could ever remember being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally different for Daenerys from where we started last, last book. Yeah, definitely. You know, in, in the wastes of the Dothraki following, you know, the death of her of her husband and unborn child. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a sense of aging a little bit. Right. Like maybe she's grown up and maybe that's why Jorah finally took the dive. I, I don't know. I'm yeah. still trying to figure out how to you can't justify Jorah. Actually, it's impossible. Um yeah, much different start to it. I like the recaps we get and her thinking about her brother and uh, you kind of think about how far she's already come. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she does. Uh, she does too here, right? You know, she thinks she's thinking about it. You know, the narrow sea was often stormy and Danny had crossed it half a hundred times as a girl running from one free city to the next half a step ahead of the usurper's hired knives. She loved the sea. She liked the sharp, salty smell of the air. Oh, it's almost like she was born amid salt and smoke. Okay, but just so. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) Okay. And the vastness of horizons bounded only by a vault of azure azure sky above. It made her uh, feet small, but free as well. So that line there is obviously for you, you know, Laris Clubfoot people. Um, You still get it a little bit here in the book. Our core audience. Let's be honest. (laughs) Seriously. Do you know that is one of our top search, our top search things on on YouTube? I 100% believe that. <laughs> it like explodes. I don't know how I feel about it, but uh, well, yeah, it, it is what it is. So uh, she continues on here, right? You know, uh, she had even thought how fine it would be to be a sailor, but when she told her brother, Viserys had twisted her until she cried. "You're the blood of the dragon," he screamed at her. "A dragon, not some smelly fish." He was a fool about that and so much else, Danny thought. It had been wiser and more, if he had been more wiser and patient, it would be him sailing west to take the throne that was his by rights. Viserys had been stupid and vicious, she had come to realize, yet sometimes she missed him all the same. Not the cruel, weak man he had become by the end, but the brother who had sometimes let her creep into his bed, the boy who told her tales of the Seven Kingdoms and talked of how much better their lives would be once he claimed the crown. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why that bums me out so much. You know, I, I guess it's just like thinking that she did have a. I mean, think from Danny's perspective, like she had someone that meant the world to her. She she looked up to Viserys. She thought he was the dragon, and uh, you know what she thinks is her final relative. And it's just like it all went bad, and that yeah. sucks. Yeah. At some point, we should maybe do a what if about what should Viserys have done. Given his cir- given his circumstances, yeah. If Viserys was, was, was living, like, what does this look like, right? Yeah, because hmm. he right because, I mean, what a I mean, really, I mean, what a mis- I just what a mistake by even Illyrio and obviously Varys to sort of sell Danny off to the Dothraki. I mean, it's almost like it's obvious, like they're just like get her out of here. Well, another weird thing is like. All right, so so we think about Fagon, right? Like, let's just kick it right. over to Fagon, like we do every every chapter somehow. But uh, the thing with Fagon, I, maybe I would love to hear someone else's take on this. Is like Illyrio and Viserys are supposedly scheming to have Fagon marry Danny and be on the the throne, right? Like that's that's right. what people suspect is the plan. So where does Viserys fit into all of that? And did they send them to the Dothraki because they knew Viserys would eventually mess up and be murdered? Or were they going to dispatch of Viserys at some point anyways? But like if Danny's married to Cal Drogo, like she's not available. So where's Fagon? I, I, I guess I just don't know. 
I don't know. Right. Maybe Illyrio never had plan. Like maybe he said, "All right, sell Danny off to Cal Drogo. Viserys will get lost. Like they'll never cross the narrow sea." I guess why everyone... would they take care of? I guess I just don't understand what what would be the purpose of taking care of them for all this time if your plan is to just put young young Griff on the throne, a distraction, I guess. But it's mm-hmm. almost like it's over in it's over in Essos. It's not like well, he's maybe there. Like yeah. plan B's, I guess I, because I they, because this then they weird. because they would have to imagine that selling Danny off to Cal Drogo is essentially just she's done. Yeah, I would have you like they're rat. smart enough to think. Yeah, because first of all, the Dothraki will never cross the narrow sea. And there's no point because they obviously they don't believe in Danny at that. No. I mean, at that point, there's no way they believe that she is going to be the thing. So, and I feel like. Danny is more valuable if your plan is to put Viserys on the throne because you would still need to marry Viserys to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in all honesty, if I if what they probably should have done, I mean, you'd have to start, you'd, you know, you'd need, you'd need you need a war or something going on, and you could either marry Danny to somebody in Dorne, is would be your best bet to try and help. But take. you still got to figure out how to get away from Call Drogo. No, 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 I mean, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, uh, Mary Viserys to somebody from. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So maybe I said maybe, maybe maybe I said Danny. But what I would what I would do is I would marry Viserys. I would, you know, like right if obviously he's still alive, which he could be, because um, really, a, like, you wouldn't need the sort of thing that causes Ned and Robert to get upset with each other, which is Danny um, to have still caused like Cersei killing Robert. Oh yeah. And like, you could still have all that stuff without them like getting upset about Daenerys as right. the potential, the potential threat. So if I'm at, if I'm, if I'm legitimately trying to use them, which at that point in the story, it seems like is the case. What I would do is once the War of the Five Kings kicks off, assuming they don't marry Danny off and Viserys, assuming they're still just sitting there, because obviously we know what happens. Right. I would try to I would I would try to marry Viserys to somebody in Dorne, and then I would try to marry Danny to Viserys as like a second wife, and then it's like okay, now like that full Targaryen lineage seems a little more strong because it's brother and sister which we know is weird but that's what the targaryens do the only other house i feel like you could even try to marry them to as a westerosi house would be like house Greyjoy because they'll definitely rebel because hmm. other than that i just don't i just don't know why they kept them around for so long unless if if their plan was to actually use them marrying danny to cal Drogo makes zero sense because then viserys goes with them well so you'd have to imagine that you're just like well they're all dead yeah. So the so there's a part of me. So to, to get this across, we have to ignore the fact that they took care of these kids. We have to ignore that for now. But there's a chance that they just wanted these two Targaryens to kind of go away to pave the way for Aegon, right? Or Phaegon. Yeah. So so basically every single person tells us that the Dothraki will never cross the narrow sea. They're like, there it never would happen. So Illyrio has to know this. So maybe he's just thinking. We can put tar you put these Targaryens like with these people. Well, it'll seem like we're propping them up, but they're never going to come over here. And then Fagon will take the crown. And then basically these two Targaryens can just like piss off over in Essos, mm-hmm. right? Um, my problem with that is that they took care of the kids. Now, to be fair, that could be a reactionary thing, I guess, right? Like, yes, like we better save these Targaryens to try to figure out what we're doing. The other thing is that. I don't know. Maybe Illyria was always going to try to save Danny from Cal Drogo. And this was just a, I, I, I don't know the, the, the motivations there seem very weird, but it does feel like maybe Danny is subverting the expectations that Illyrio had for her. Like she is now taking the ship with the tiger skins and all the stuff. And she's going to go to slavers Bay and do these amazing things. And at that point, does Illyrio go, Oh, she's got her dragons. Cause I don't think he ever thought those dragon eggs were going to hatch by the way. Right. I don't think that was going to happen. So is there a chance that Illyrio sees the eggs hatch, sees her kind of take command and make these amazing moves and be the uh, uh, queen of the people? And does he then go, oh, that's who we match with young Griff. Like, that's the one. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, and I'm trying to get this map pulled up in my computer. It's acting weird. Um, but you know, uh, I'll get it pulled up. I'll get it pulled oh, up shit, here maybe, in a second. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. You know, the other thing. The other thing is, think about how far away it is to the like, because they already know that to eat once she gets married to Cal Drogo, he's got to cross the Dothraki Sea to go to Vase Dothrak to get blessed before he can even begin his conquest. Yeah. It's like all the way on the other side of Essos. <laughs> yeah, it kind of feels like they were kind of tucking him away. Yeah. And then if you're Lirio, I mean, one thing I will say, if you marry Daenerys to the Dothraki, you there do, ki- I'm not going to say you control the Dothraki because you don't, but you do have an end to the Dothraki. Right. I guess. It's like, um, here's here's the region where we start, right? Yeah, my mouse is uh, acting weird, but um, it's like we're over here in Bravo, you know, Pentos. That's where we start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to go all the way across the Dothraki Sea to go to Vase Dothrak so that he can get blessed and, you know, do the thing before he'll even like go <laughs> back to cross the narrow sea. So mm-hmm. then you have to go all the way back. That alone would take like a year. Which is ripe time for the civil war to start you know that they were trying yeah. to sew um that i mean viserys and Illyria definitely were banking on the the civil war i think i guess now here's a question where Illyrio and viserys and i always lump viserys in with Illyrio, but was Illyrio no, going firing together yeah were they going for global domination maybe targaryens uh, that rule in essos and then you have I think, uh Fagon i and think westeros I think their plan at that maybe maybe they did believe in them for a long time and then finally they were just like yeah get rid of them because I just don't maybe. I just don't think that y- like the if the young Griff plan the young Griff plan just doesn't seem like you would have to, to like you need this other distraction of Daenerys and that's a that's yeah. a tough thing to do because obviously there's assassins coming after them. So like you're gonna be dealing with assassins from time to time. It feels like Illyrio had some sort of plan for them. Like I, I know I I, th- I see this throwing them away, but there had to be something. And I will say this: I think that as soon as he saw the dragons hatch and he saw Daenerys start making girl boss moves, he was like, "Well, yeah, yeah, like she, we're gonna take care of Daenerys," you know, because he sent all these boats and stuff with her. Um, I know. So I, I think the plan the changed. the, the truth. Yeah, the tricky part is the tricky part is the Viserys epilogue of A Dance with Dragons in which he kills Kevin Lannister. I know there could be little birds spying and all this other stuff yeah. where he he tells he tells him the whole deal of, hey, we got this guy, young Griff, who's actually Aegon Targaryen, and he's going to come over and clean house because you're just telling it to somebody you're about to kill. So... It makes it seem like that was the plan the whole time. Yeah. Well, I think that there is a good chance that Illyrio had some some 4D chess going on. And also, let's we, we kind of touched on this earlier in the chapter, but Viserys flipped the switch at some point in his life and became a lunatic. Like yeah. a Joffrey, you know, Joffrey times two, Mad King times two. So there's a chance Illyrio got to the point where he looked at Viserys and said, this is a lost cause. This is exactly what we don't need back on the Iron Throne. Let's go with yeah. Aegon. That there's a chance that, that that was the that was the thing. And he said, you know what? Let's just put him at the Dothraki. Yeah. Maybe because they babied him too much or Yeah, and, and I mean it's Viserys isn't subtle. He's obviously a monster. So maybe they just said, jigs up, we can't do it. But I got a great idea. I got another we'll have a blackfire sitting over here and he's my son. Yeah, see, that's where it... Yeah. I guess, yeah, it just does. I don't know. I don't know. I guess I don't know what the plan is. We need we need an Illyrio sit down interview tell all where he just sits there and just vomits it yeah. out. Because, I mean, I think post post Viserys dying and Danny hatching dragons, it's pretty obvious what's happening. I think he's moving her to a way where they can meet Fagon and then get married. That seems very much like what's supposed to happen. That's also why in this chapter we find out that Danny is supposed to go to Pentos, right? Not Slaver's mm-hmm. Bay. And Jorah Mormont convinces her to go to Slaver's Bay. Yeah, and that's 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 where we're headed. So. She would have sat in Pentos and waited for Fagon. That that's what her role would have been if Jorah hadn't changed her mind. Yeah, well, I think some of it's going to tie into some of this text I'm about to read too. So as they are on the ship, right, uh, the dragons are sort of flying overhead, 
And some of these lines here, you know, he was always hungry, hurt Rogon, hungry and growing fast. Another year or two, perhaps, maybe large enough to ride. Then I shall had, have no need of ships to cross that great salt sea. So I think a lot of the text that takes place in this chapter about the dragons, Danny's actually sort of thinking more so about herself, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is actually one of the things I did kind of like, I know, obviously, season eight had a lot of issues, a lot of issues, especially the back half of it. But when Danny does just finally kind of like get on the dragon, it's like, all right, I mean, like the ep- like episode four, which is like the worst episode ever, where, you know, the <laughs> ships imagine. just literally come out of nowhere and Lord. shoot down the dragon. It's like so stupid where she finally gets like tired of it. And she's like, all right. And I think, yeah, and then like, I'm just going to get my dragon. I'm going head first in, you know, before she like massacres, you know, millions of people. <laughs> uh, but when she's like, all right, I'm just going to go do it. It was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. 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 That just that one little there's little segments of it that are that are kind of cool. Not Not a silver lining, but a silver speck. Right. Or the context of it was good. But, you know, it's kind of cool to see her dishonor dragon. And like also again, the episode in in Marine when she's just like just the dragons are just torching everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we can see that we can see that the breadcrumb, maybe not the King's Landing stuff, but we can see the breadcrumbs of power increasing like we can feel the power creep. Right. And then, yeah, then eventually she may not. So Mm -hmm. um, they're going on. They're talking a little bit more. We're getting some history of House Targaryen. Right. Um, You know, Sir Jorah says, you know, dragon, a dragon's natural span of days as many times as long as a man's or so the songs would have us believe. But the dragons, the seven kingdoms knew, you know, were those of House Targaryen. They're bred for war and in war they died. It's no easy thing to slay to slay a dragon, but it can be done. Still that sort of cautious, you know. Be careful, my queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then next thing you know, here's Artisan Whitebeard. He's like, you know, Blaring the back Blackjared was 200 years old when he died during the reign of Jaehaerys the Conciliator. He was so large he could swallow uh, an aurochs whole. The dragon never stops growing, your grace, as long as he has food and freedom. You know. Which we know, obviously, they didn't end up having it. You know, his name was Artisan, but Strong Bellwest had named him Whitebeard for his pale whiskers. Do you think he should have hidden his identity? I mean, it's Barris and Selmy. He knows what he's doing. But I, just Listen, I think Barris really... and Selmy is in. He doesn't care. Like, let him cook. He's he's. he's... I kind of I kind of like in the show when he shows up more, and he and there's like that's Barris. They're like that's Barris and Selmy. Well. I kind of like that that in the book, you might still be guessing. Like now at this point, if you're in a reread, you know, it's obvious. Nah, you know. But like the yeah, first time you're reading, like you might be like, who I is guess. this? Because right. Barristan Selmy is a legend to us because we know everything. But if you're reading for the first time, you know, Barristan gets a lot more shine in the Feast for Crow Jamie chapters where Jamie thinks about Barristan and Kristen Cole and stuff like that. So I think that I think it's kind of cool that he drags it a little bit. And it does make sense because Jorah was exiled. So like Jorah wasn't around as much. And also like the Song of Ice Empire is weird with recognition. Like there's commoners who don't know what King Robert looks like, which is right. really, I love that because in today's because age, they would, have, they would have never have seen him. Yeah. And in today's age, like we know every world leader because they're plastered all over the internet and stuff. But if you think back in the day, like if you live 200 miles from the capital, you're paying taxes, dude. You don't know what he looks like. It's crazy. Most uh, so most people um, back in the day only ever traveled about thirty miles outside of their hometown in their lives. I most of the people like went to be, high school like with be, are like still be, on that before, ground. like before trains and cars. It was like most most people would yeah. only ever travel around thirty miles outside of their hometown in their lives. <sighs> Dude, George does such a good job. Well, it was so difficult. It was so difficult to do. Yeah, you could disappear. Like you could just start a new life. <laughs> you go 15 miles yeah. down the road. It's brand new. <laughs> right. God mm-hmm. bless Bears and Selmy. Yeah. Especially in this time. It's not even like the old oh. West or stuff like in, yeah. in our world when you have guns like that. Mm-mm. That was like a bigger sort of thing to do. And like you, you had to travel by ship to get places. Could you imagine with like rats like, and cats? Oh, God. Be awful. So, okay, so they're continuing going on there. You know, they're talking about uh, this type of thing. And I sort of like, you know, how it's they every time they every time he talks about Jorah, he's, you know, he uses that word, you know, the exile knight. 
had had no love for the man he'd made that plain from the first you know it's like what do you know of dragons anyway little enough that's true yet i served for a time in king's landing in the days when king eris set the iron throne and walked beneath the dragon skulls that looked down from the walls of the throne room you know viserys talked of those skulls said danny the usurper took them down and hid them away he could not bear them looking down upon him uh, you know on the stolen throne you know, then she's asking him some things. You know, did you ever meet my royal father, King Eris? Uh, you know, did you ever meet my royal father? He said, I had that great honor, your grace. Ugh, that great honor, I guess. Uh, did you find him gentle? You know, it's like he's doing his best to hide his feelings. His grace was often pleasant, but not, <laughs> but not always. He could be very harsh on those he thought his enemies. Um, <laughs> And only fools would make enemy of a king, as she says. Great line. Yeah. You know, that's the little sort of ignorance of it. Mm -hmm. um, did you know my brother Rhaegar as well? So this is where a lot of stuff comes up about like. This is like a huge chapter for like all the Rhaegar theories. Uh, you know, it was said that no man ever knew Prince Rhaegar truly. I had the privilege of seeing him in attorney, though, and often heard him playing his harp with its silver strings. Uh, you know, Sir Joris, along with a thousand others, you know, next you'll claim you squired for him. I make no such claim. Uh, Miles Mouton was Prince Rhaegar's squire and Richard Lawnmouth after him. When they won their spurs, he knighted them himself and he remained his closest. They, they remained his closest companions. Young Lord Connington was dear to the prince as well, but his oldest friend was Arthur Dane. The sword of the morning, said Danny, delighted. Viserys used to talk about his, uh, you know, his wondrous white blade. You know, so it continues on um, here. Uh, Barrison or Whitebeard bowed his head. It's not my place to question the words of Prince Viserys. King Danny corrected. Jeez. He was a king that he has never reigned. Viserys, the third of his name. Uh, but what do you mean? You know, so they sort of continue here. So they sort of, this is where he sort of talks about Rhaegar a little bit. Um. A warrior without peer. Those are fine words, your grace, but words won, win no battles. Swords win battles, Sir Jorah said bluntly, and Prince Rhaegar knew how to use one. He did. I have seen a hundred tournaments and more wars than I would wish, and however strong or fast or skilled a knight may be, those are there are others who can match him. A man will win one tourney, but fall quickly in the next. A slick spot in the grass may mean defeat or what you ate for supper the night before. A change in the wind may bring... Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. The, uh, the gift of victory or a lady's favor nodded round the arm you know so as you continue on here um i'm going to skip just a couple paragraphs here so this is where this other theory that i have kind of pulled up here that mm -hmm. i kind of want to talk about a little bit comes in and uh, ezra and i did one on about it uh probably over, like over a year ago so it continues on. He says, you know, I know little Danny says, I know little of Rhaegar, only the tales of Viserys told. And he was a little boy when our brother died. What was he truly like? The old man considered a moment able that above all determined, deliberate, dutiful, single minded. Uh, there is a tale told of him, but doubtless Sir Jorah knows it as well. Uh, so he can use as a young boy. The Prince of Dragonstone was bookish to a fault. He was reading so early that men and so so early that men said Queen Rayella must have swallowed some books and a candle while <laughs> he was in the room. Rhaegar took no interest in the play of other children. The maesters were awed by his wits, but his father's knights would just 
sourly that Baylor the Blessed had been born again. Until one day, Prince Rhaegar found something in his scrolls that changed him. No one knows what it might have been, only that the boy suddenly appeared early one morning in the yard as the knights were donning their steel. He walked up to Sir Willem Derry, the master at arms, and said, I require sword and armor. It seems I must be a warrior. And that is the tie-in to Aegon's prophecy. Yeah, I think and, so. Now, now that that's sort of been, because that yeah. keep in mind that the whole idea of like the the prophecy of Song of Ice and Fire that we just saw in House of the Dragon, like as being something that's actually passed down, was like never a thing, <laughs> like right. until recently. Well, George did so. I so George the idea of George is not the passing down. But the prophecy itself, meaning that Aegon had prophetic dreams. And that was George has been talking about that since 2016 in interviews. So I don't think the passing down is going to be book canon from what I can understand, because Miguel and uh, and Ryan said that like they ran with it and did the passing down thing. Mm -hmm. I think that Aegon wrote it down or somebody wrote it down back in the day. And the first Targaryen other than maybe Maycor, like the first the first Targaryen's Westeros that found it, I think it was Rhaegar. I think Rhaegar found something. I think I think one other person found it. I think Egg found it, or Ooh. perhaps or perhaps Blood Raven. Oh, I like that because I think that is a huge tie-in for Summerhall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And then, wouldn't it be interesting that like? Maybe it wouldn't be interesting to some people. I like it. Uh, you know, we talk about Targaryen. Flip a coin. Why, they're crazy or they're not. But like, what if all the madness is striking the ones who um, figure out the prophecy? Like the prophecy is driving the mad. It actually has nothing to do with their blood. Right. That would be interesting. There might be, some, there might be some others too. Because Arian Bright Flame, but he could just be like a weirdo who, you know, and could be dragon dreams too. Like maybe The, the dragon come. dreams definitely are valid. Yeah. Right. I need to become a dragon. So he drank wildfire and tried to do Jesus it. Jesus Christ. But I kind of think Egg might have. I kind of mm -hmm. think. Well, obviously, you have like the Woods Witch and Jenny of Old Stones. So there's a lot of like mages and prophetic stuff going on there, well, too. But I, I think it's possible Egg might have found it. And that's one of the reasons he's so intent on at Summer Hall trying to do something to bring back these. You should bring back to bring back dragons, which could also be like maybe Rhaegar finds it. Mm, that's right. Yeah. And then Rhaegar. That's why he goes to Summerhall to be like, what happened here? Yeah. And, and a lot of, of course, he's born there. So it could just be that as well. But I think there's more to it. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people speculate that that maybe the prophecy would have been recorded and for some reason end up at the wall because the wall has so many old documents as we see in the series. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of opportunity for egg to run into it up there if it is there, because we know that Duncan egg go to the wall at some point uh, or at least go north. And then we also know that Eamon is at the wall. Right. Well, remember, and, and nowhere in the main in the main text. Does it say anything about Eamon like finding old books about like the others and all this other stuff? Remember, we just said some World of Ice and Fire stuff. And there's like totally lines in there that say that Mace Draymond at one point found this book, sent stuff to Ma the Mace mm -hmm. and Sindel, and they laughed it off. Yes. And then Samwell does give us a perspective in the main series and he starts finding crazy stuff. So we, we kind of get the hint, I think, from the Samwell stuff that there's a lot of really good, uh, good scrolls and whatnot in at the wall. And then we get the aim and stuff in the world of ice and fire that kind of info dumps it to us. So, yeah, yeah, I think Rhaegar found the prophecy is, is the point, though. I think he found the prophecy and he says, seems I must be a warrior. And then here we go. Yeah. So let me so um, uh, we'll come back to the chapter because um, I guess or we can sort of finish it. I kind of want to get to this Rhaegar is able thing because it ties into it. But I guess sort of. We can if there's other stuff in the chapter you want to hit first before we dive into that theory, I guess we could kind of view that as a raven, too. But it does tie into this. Um, I guess maybe the Jorah stuff. We should we should probably talk about the Jorah, the the Jorah stuff first. I mean, what is there to say? He's a creep. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So so their conversation. So artisan, you know, Barrison, their stuff sort of continues They're They're talking about. Um, you know, Rhaegar and stuff like that. Uh, their conversations will continue into other chapters as well. There's obviously a huge one in which he's telling her about, you know, 
if I had been a better knight at this other tourney, like what happened at the Tower of Joy, talking more about Rhaegar, um, like just what kind of person oh, yeah. was he, um, which is another huge one. But this is sort of that first, uh, you know, kind of kind of thing there. Um, so, yeah, so let's, I guess, talk a little bit about, you know, as they're talking about the Unsullied, you know, that she's going to go get that army and everything, I guess, like, Jorah being kind of a creep. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you wrapped it up. It would be, it would be, I guess, in Jorah's mind, does Jorah actually love Daenerys or does he love that Daenerys supposedly looks like his wife? Uh, dude, I don't know. I think I think Jorah's a simp. <laughs> yeah, well, he definitely is. <laughs> I think I think he just struggles. I I, I I don't know what to think of Jorah. And like, I don't necessarily hate the character, by the way. Like a lot of people are like, I hate Jorah. I don't hate Jorah. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens uh, later down the road with him. But without a doubt, he doesn't come off great in the text. Yeah. Um. I, I got to interrupt a little bit because uh, I had someone just send me this and, and this isn't 100% confirmed yet, but it looks like House of the Dragon season two. V no, this is confirmed by deadline. Season two of House of the Dragon will only be eight episodes. That's fine. You think? Yeah, I actually think it might be, too, because remember what we were saying, like, you know, to keep like a good pace, like how do they like mm -hmm. where do they end it? And I guess maybe. Eight one-hour episodes is enough. Eight eight episodes for a season is fine. Yeah, it should be okay. I wonder if they would needed more money for the per episode for budget. Yeah, we we, we can uh, talk about it at, uh, at the beginning of next yeah. episode. But I, I just literally someone just sent it to me, so I was yeah, like, I've oh. got a I've got a, I've got a lot to say about Warner Brothers right now. Uh, 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 don't get me don't get me a company in which I no longer hold stock. So let let me let let, let me say, let me say I'll just say, leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, anywho, yeah, okay, so, yeah, basically, you know, the Jorah stuff, it does kind of start here, where he just sort of, like, grabs her and kisses her, right, uh, you know, and he does sort of say, like, the dragon has three heads, remember, you wondered that ever since you heard it from the warlocks, well, here's your meaning, Valerian, Maraxis, and Vagar, ridden by Aegon, Rhaenys, and Visenya, the three house of the dragon, three dragons, three riders, you know, like, and he's sort of thinking maybe you need two other husbands, like the reverse. And I could be one of them, which is also weird. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Jorah is taking the if you were the last man in the world to like a total another level here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like he's like you're surrounded by Dothraki and his old white douche. Like, it's got to be me, right? <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Yeah, it's it is both creepy, weird, and just incredibly unfortunate uh, for Jorah, I guess. It's, it's, I know. Um, so before we dive into the, the theory, I'll read up just some things here from the Song of Ice and Fire reread subreddit, which I like. Uh, comment here: Jorah is just about the worst friend one could have. The only reason he brings up the three, uh, you know, treasons is because it happens to suit his agenda. His agenda in making sure he's the only person Danny ever trusts. And while Danny doesn't swallow everything Jorah serves up, it's safe to say that she trusts him, you know, a lot. Of course, that trust should later shatter, and only one can wonder what you know that does to Danny's psyche. Mm -hmm. another comment here i believe sir jor is a creep and a schemer but a loyal creep and a schemer if he had only been humble a little more humble he could still be danny's loyal advisor yeah he uh he just uh he has a warped sense of reality i guess and good on danny by the way for sticking up for herself yeah and she's noticed it too i you know there's an episode in clash of kings when because remember like in a clash of kings they're walking she's walking around in the in like the custom is like to have like one breast exposed and sir jor is like Oh, <laughs> just like staring at guys. Like, it's so creepy. Um, and she, and then she also knows it's like, yeah, he views me as something I have no intention of ever doing. Yeah, uh, you know, doing. Yeah. yeah, and she calls him out on it a couple times. Obviously, not more so than just you know than than just here. Yeah, we'll see him get put in his place a little bit later pretty hard i do think that he will probably go out the same way as he does in the show though uh, he had that. a great ending actually i i thought he does i think his ending was was great uh jor is actually one of the best moments in season eight 
I uh, I think him and Theon both fed. I mean, we could go into a whole yeah. thing about it, but I think him and Theon's endings were really good. Yeah. Do you think he will ever meet his wife? No. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. I know. It's kind of weird that there's like two... You know, like It's kind of interesting that like Tyrion and Jorah meet up and they both oh. have like wives who lived in who are like in theory over in Essos and which like they might meet <sighs> like that kind of like that's something that like always like weirds me out about like will we ever see Taisha or will we ever see I don't know that Joris I think we do have Sarah might be her name um, I'll try to I'll try to pull it up here yeah you know I I didn't think about that but that that is a bit of a because people have always wondered are we ever going to see are we ever going to see his wife I don't know because she leaves because she leaves and she goes to Essos. Yeah, she went on summer break and never came back. I mean, I don't think we will. Lainese is Lainese is her name. That is that is not Sarah. Sorry, yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I thought that. No, that's Illyrio's wife. Illyrio has a wife named yes Sarah. It's like yeah, but yeah. So yeah, he yeah he's married to Lainese Hightower. Okay, oh, never oh. trust him. Don't trust those high never, guys. never again. Right? Who's who was half his age, and he became smitten with her beauty. I think. Uh, I think. Yeah, he's just got so weird. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, so she ends up. You know, she ends up uh, going over to. Her. I don't know that we know anything about. Let me see if I can pull up anything on her. Do we know anything um, about her? Is just. Uh... Feast for uh, Storm of Swords. He just, you know, they mention her. Feast for Crows. Sir uh, Humphrey Hightower sails to Lisp to hire uh, sea sails. Um, the captain of the Huntress, right? A ship refers to her as a whore of a sister. And then uh, Jorah tells Tyrion the same thing. He, tell, Tyrion, he tells Tyrion the story of her. Mm hmm. Hmm. I guess so we'll do you think we, do you think we do you think we meet either one of them or if we only meet one? I know a lot of people think that Taish is going to show up, but I don't I don't think I don't think so, man. Like we're, like you know we're, we're going to do this big battle, right? Like Tyrion's now in Marine. Right. In, in, in do we meet them? Do we meet them both at the same time? That'd be terrible. I would I would hate that. <laughs> like, I would and then it's like a good like overcoming stuff. Housewives of Westeros. Like I'm Tyrion, out. Tyrion, I'm out. Tyrion and and Jorah both, you know. Becomes swingers. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't I would hate that. Um I just I think don't it's see more I think it's more likely we'd I think it's yeah, I think it's more likely we would see Lenny's high tower than we would. You know George wants to put another high tower in. Well, maybe now it's so big. Jorah would probably have more opportunity at some point, but not even because, like, you think that we're gonna have the battle in Marine, right? And then they're going to All head right. over to Westeros. I just don't when, like, when does that fit in? Right. You know. You know it. It could have. It could have worked if Jorah hadn't already sort of betrayed. Uh, you know, yes. betrayed Danny. Yeah. Um. And then maybe he runs into her, and then sh that could be like a betrayal in which he runs into his ex-wife, and she's trying to seduce him to get you know because like they're trying to get something from Danny or something. But yeah, I just yeah. I, I don't I don't think we'll see either. I don't think we'll see Taisha. It's another one of these things too, where it's like when you're hitting this point, you're like, oh, we're ever going to see that character because then they get mentioned again. Yeah. But then it's like you sort of think about there's only two more books left is there enough time to get to all this with all these so characters? much that hasn't even been on page yet like, i know like r plus l equals j is not even confirmed in the book yet like that's that's many pages worth <laughs> i and, and honestly i don't think the story needs it i've me and you've talked about this before but as fans we do have to begin to be one realistic but two also decide like what makes a good story and what needs to be wrapped up like brienne being 100% confirmed as a descendant of Dunk the Tall is not necessary for the series. Um, I would even say that if Corn Halfhand was Arthur Dane, we don't need to know. We can just always believe that in our little hearts. We don't like it. That is yeah. not going to make the series 
end well, I don't think, right? Like there's right. other bigger things to worry about. And I don't think the series needs Tyrion to see Taisha to make it good. Like I just don't yeah. think it's necessary. So um I would hope that <laughs> Wins of Winter hasn't been 75% done for like three years and he's just trying to figure out how to put Taisha in there. Like that would be terrible. I would yeah, I would be disappointed if that were anything that he gets hung up on or spends time on. So yeah okay um i just one other thing to sort of wrap up some of this uh chapter here there is uh, a line that's mentioned about three times when like danny and jorah are going back and forth mm. um in which danny says uh illyrio is a is a friend to house targaryen danny says it like three times when yeah. they're just, like going back and forth but we should do this we should do that uh, and he's beginning to question it I mean, Illyrio is a great question mark in the series too, right? Like Illyrio is awesome. Illyrio could be a, Illyrio could be a threat to House Targaryen. Is it possible, real uh, quick here, that Young Griff is Illyrio's son, but Varys thinks it's it's actually Aegon Targaryen? Well, it yes, I think Varys could very well actually believe it's Aegon, and I think that Illyrio Illyrio could be lying about and, it, and has slept with the Blackfire, the female Blackfire, and so I I 100% think, and then that would also cover the end with Kevin Lannister, right? So yeah, because he sort of he says he because he tells him he's not a Blackfire, he tells him he's the real deal, he's Aegon Targaryen, the baby, like straight up, that. yeah, right. So which would mean that something happens to that baby at some point. Mm-hmm. Or it could be, yeah. You know, like, I mean, it'd be hard to pull one over on Varys, though. Right. Like, Varys, I don't know. I don't know. Damn it. I need more books. Yeah. So, okay. Let's dive into, and I think I sent you a link, Jimmy, so you can pull it up on Reddit, too, if you yes. want to uh, read it. And when, I'll skip over some of it, because this, this whole theory is actually about, um, it's this anagram for like Cain and Abel um, and he sort of uses this thing about like Ned Stark being like disabled um, I've read I've we read it before I think it was maybe a Patreon episode and I posted on YouTube after a while but um, so I'm going to kind of sort of skip over some of it but what I sort of like is this idea of the word Abel and Rhaegar above all else being Abel because that ties into Bale the Bard because you know they're an anagram for each other um, so I'm going to read some, uh, some of this, I might skip over some of it. So, uh, as I'm reading, this is, uh, from M underscore toodles on the pure AS OIF Reddit, where they don't even discuss the show. So the show doesn't influence anything. Best they, way to they go. Right over there. I don't really often visit this subreddit, um, but it's, it's good. So he says, uh, as I'm reading a game of Thrones for the umpteenth time, I keep noticing, things i didn't notice before or have uh forgotten i noticed before i picked up on this little delight yesterday of course this was two years ago but um he says there's is it's pretty well known that some famously suspected wordplay around the word able in a song of ice and fire first we have mance raider disguising himself as a guy named able which everyone and their sister recognizes as an anagram for bail as in bail the bard the most famous person you know the most famous previous king beyond the wall. Many hypothesize that this has something to do with Mance trying to pull a bail and come to take control over Winterfell, as we know that's where he's at in A Dance of Dragons, and as Bail infamously did in his way by impregnating the daughter of Lord, the Lord of Winterfell, such that Bail's own son eventually becomes the Lord of Winterfell. You know, we know, we learn this when Yagret tells the story of Bail the Bard. Then there's uh, Barristan Selmy's famous line regarding Rhaegar. Danny turned back to the squire. I know little of Rhaegar, only the tales Viserys told, and he was a little boy when our brother died. What was he truly like? The old man considered a moment, able, that above all, determined, deliberate, uh, dutiful, single-minded. There is a tale told of him, but doubtless Sir Jorah knows it as well. So here you have able. Oh, and I will also tell you a tale. So some of this, uh, you know, is evidence that Mance is Rhaegar since Rhaegar is able and Mance is able. Rhaegar being able, the, you know, uh, verb, is that? The, the, I don't know. I'm not an English major, <laughs> as, you, as you know, as you used to dive into all that stuff, right? Uh, I mean, I'll have to met, yeah, right. 
Uh, yeah, I'll text him and ask him. Um, Abel, you know, the, the A-B-L-E and Mance is Abel, A-B-E-L, a name, right? So a noun, I think a verb or an adjective. I don't know, guys. I'm a history major. <laughs> anyway, I have no doubt that this confluence is intentional. Germ hoped readers would pick up on it and wonder about Mance being Rhaegar. I happen to think it's a red herring, but we can agree to disagree if need be. Regardless, though, there is clearly Abel, A-B-E-L, Abel, A-B-L-E, and Bale wordplay, and it centers around kings, rulers, and thanks to the literal meaning of Abel and Selmy's firm declaration of Rhaegar, the ability of a ruler to be able to rule well. I submit that regardless of whether Mance is Rhaegar, one thing that Gurm is doing is these word games around those words he's doubling down or highlighting slash calling back to some implied wordplay in a game of thrones uh what do i mean so in a game of thrones ned gets his leg ned stark gets his leg broken he is literally disabled you know um germ wants us to notice this bit of implied wordplay so he literally puts ned's disability and word games in the same sentence how so lord varus he asked uh his leg was throbbing and he was in no mood for word games. Uh, hmm. And what does and what does Ned do once his leg is broken? He proceeds to royally mess up the entire kingdom and help set off a disastrous chain of events for his house. Specifically, you know, uh, we you know, we all we know what he always does. He looks, I'm going to go send people to get the mountain. And it messes everything up and helps start the war of the five kings so we literally have a disabled a disabled ned stark as a ruler a literally disabled ned is the opposite of Rhaegar, who we you know with the wordplay you know literally disabled ned is not as able in the selmy sense of the word mm -hmm. so that's a little implied wordplay but here's where it gets really fun in eddard 13, Robert returns from his hump, mortally wounded. Ned is about to truly be in charge, to truly in a, be in a position where he decides the fate of the kingdom. We learn that Robert is back and dying after Ned is awakened in the middle of the night. A guard, uh, you know, that has been sent, uh, only been mentioned in passing once in the text. And what was that guy? What was the name? What is the name guard who awakens Ned? Uh, dis, uh, who awakens disabled Ned just before Ned starts really proving he is not able to rule like Rhaegar Kane. So this is where this guy goes into this like huge, wow. like, it's a, it's a Kane and Abel thing could be um, I'll, I'll keep reading it, but I guess my sort of focus is like the, is the able thing, but we'll just, we'll keep going with it. And so what does Kane do? He helps disabled Ned do things he would normally be able to do. Kane helps him with his clothes. They followed Ned um, as Tomard and Kane helped him cross the room. Kane and Tomard were helping Ned across the bridge when Lord Renly emerges from Magor's hold fast. Now take a closer look at how Kane is introduced here. Eddard Stark jerked upright, his heart racing. The blankets tangled around him. The room was black as pitch and someone had hammered on the door. Lord Eddard, a voice called loudly. Um, a moment groggy and naked he stumbled across his darkened chamber when the door opened he found tomard with an upraised fist and kane with a tamper in hand between them on the king's own steward a fist and a tapered meaning a candle yes but also implying a rod like shape right especially since the word taper is used to describe wait for it fishing rods this is the quoted passage uh we are Ned is being uh, figuratively presented with two symbols of iron Stannis like, you know, rule, um, you know, with like rule with an iron fist or rule with an iron rod. The other variation rule with an iron hand. Since Ned is the hand, all the variations are present. Unfortunately, Ned's the hand. Ned, the hand's hand wasn't iron either in the important figurative sense nor the coincidentally literal sense. Ned unfastened the heavy clasp that clutched the folds of his cloak, the ornate silver hand that was the badge of his office. Nor did Ned manage to wield an iron fist or an iron rod. He was not able, he was disabled, but at least he had his cane. So it goes on a little bit further, some extra stuff. I don't really know that it has anything to do with it, but... What do you think, Jimmy? I mean, it's a little wild. Um, right. You have to kind of uh, 
except the fact that that Ned is disabled to make it Kane enable, right? And right. that whole angle. Um, I mean, I like anything that ties into like biblical themes. I always think that those are really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Kane and Abel is also like one of the better stories. It's really well written. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you buy it? So like the whole Kane and Abel thing, I think, because it doesn't really go anywhere, you know, like, yeah, I don't, I don't... The, the, the story of Cain and Abel is that they, you know, brothers, you know, that, you know, one kills the other for so murder. right. It's not like, it's not like this guard Cain is like, you know, is the one that, you know, is present in the throne room when the guards like take over. So I don't really, it's not very compelling. Right. So the Cain and Abel part, I'm not like even when we read this, when I read this like a year, you know, when I did another video on it, um, it, I didn't really buy it um, as much here. But for me, the interesting part, though, is the obviously the Abel and the different spellings of it Mm -hmm. and the, you know, the anagrams of it, you know, Abel above all else, because, you know. Rhaegar might be pulling a huge one over us and we know he has the connections to Bale the Bard um with mance raider and a lot of people think mance raider is Rhaegar, which i'm you know certainly a, a big buyer of that theory so i guess like what do you think of the uh, like the the able bail the bard able well bail the bard is absolutely very important thematically in the story and is mentioned multiple times it's mentioned in a brand chapter it's mentioned in john chapter it's mentioned in this chapter it might be mentioned in even another one if i i, I feel like there was one more example so we're supposed to pay attention to the story uh, this legend is not coming up over and over and over again for no reason um i don't buy the the mance and the Rhaegar uh tie into it but without a doubt like i think the bail the bard is is very important is telling us more than it would seem mm-hmm. so okay so what about the idea of like any of the anagrams, I guess, because like if you look at the three different versions of it, right? Mm-hmm. So you have being able to do something, and that's how he describes Rhaegar. And Rhaegar does, for example, I guess in a in a in a weird sort of sense, you could sort of think about it like this, right? Like Rhaegar is able to rally a bunch of troops and everything, and the you know his 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 first objective, we think we don't know a hundred percent for certain, but it's believed was obviously I want to gather a bunch of troops and everything because I want to kind of overthrow my dad, yes, and then maybe he had other plans too of like I you know maybe he thought winter is coming, and I need to be able to like have the three heads of the dragon and all this stuff, and then obviously it creates a huge war. You know, we there's still obviously a lot of those pieces we don't have for this whole, you know, thing. Um, so in a way, you can almost argue Abe, Rhaegar is an able because Rhaegar dies in battle. Theoretically, of course. Um, <laughs> well, also to tie into these. And then you just have able, which is like A-B-L-E, the name that Mance Raider is using, which also ties into, you know, Bail the Bard. Yeah, and you know the bell, the bard with the child, and the blue roses. Like, maybe it's all just supposed to point us more and more towards John's story and parentage. Maybe like that, mm-hmm. that's maybe that's the whole reason for it. Um, now the right. anagrams and stuff. I mean, it is it is fascinating, and George does very carefully select his words. Right, and so, remember that, and remember that you know, bell the bard was told to us in like the chapter before. Yes. Oh, Bale the Bard no, is was, all over. No, I'm sorry. It was the Dornishman's night wife that was in the one before. But the Bale of the Bard isn't a John chapter. We did just have a John chapter. And yeah. now we're also learning. Again, this is another thing. Now in the next chapter, we are also we had a John chapter in which, you know, the Dornishman's wife, what's going on there and everything. And now we're here's a here's a chapter in which Danny's, you know, proceeding in John chapter. What was Regar like? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that is kind of it is it is curious. That's the word I'll use. It's very curious. Right. This is why R plus L equals J. You know, this is like all of the stuff like this is there's just too much evidence for me for R plus L equals J to where I just don't think. You know, like the Ned plus Ashara equals John stuff. 
I get it. And I see why people like those theories for me personally. I mean, and it could still be it totally could be. Um, but I just, I just think there's just too much R plus L equals J evidence to. Yeah. No, no. Su- to support, we're firm believers like, of our, to right. To support a Ned plus a Shara equals John or any other variation, you know, of now it. do we think something's up with the Shara name? Yeah, we do. Do we know what it is? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> So, okay. Anything else, Jimmy, you want to add to the, into that theory or no, to the I chapter? I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I definitely think that Bill the Bard and the entire thing is definitely meant to tell us something uh, without a doubt, even if like we don't relate it just straight to Rhaegar or, or anything else. It, it, it's something that is reoccurring. It keeps coming up and we should pay attention to it and think about, think about it as we continue to read through a storm of swords each chapter, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. awesome well we do have i do have a couple ravens we'll get to next time um this is just sort of a bigger chapter and obviously some theory so i wanted to great definitely, chapter yeah definitely wanted to uh you know dive dive into that and there, there's more of this chapter we didn't even hit which so yeah. certainly if you want us to come back and talk about it we can certainly pick up you know come back and talk anything uh you know about it so yeah. um okay so with that we want to thank you guys for playing the game of thrones our next episode will be into a storm of swords a brand one and if you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, or leave a comment, or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com or bendthekneepodcast.com. We will see you next time, and remember that winter is coming.